You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Shattered Glass, which came out in 2003. It stars Hayden Christensen, Peter Sarsgaard, Chloe Savigny, Rosario Dawson, Melanie Linsky, Hank Azaria, Mark Bloom, and Steve Zahn. The genre would be journalistic docudrama. Why didn't you get this? I don't know. Do you have phone numbers for all your sources on the hack heaven piece? If somebody wants to do some kind of follow-up story. Called all the hackers I know, asking if any had heard of a hacker by the name of Big Bad Bionic Boy. Nothing. He's made some pretty serious charges. This looks very suspicious to me. I'm increasingly beginning to believe that I've been duped. The New Republic snobbies rag in the business and gets completely snowed. Have you thought about the impact this might have? If you fire him, people will leave. I go, Chuck, why don't you back me up? He goes, I'm sorry, Steve. I gotta protect the magazine. There are political considerations. The young conservatives piece. Was that true? Wait, there is one thing in the story that checks out. What's that? There does appear to be a state in the union named Nevada. Hayden Christensen. You're my editor. You're supposed to support me. Peter Sarsgaard. This thing blows. There isn't going to be a magazine anymore. I didn't do anything wrong. You saw my notes. Everything was in there. They're going to have all this, too. I didn't do anything wrong. I really wish you'd stop saying that. Shattered glass. This is definitely one of the best workplace dramas I've ever seen, along with being one of the best films about journalism. And yet because it features probably the best performance we will ever see from Hayden Christensen, which he did smack between Star Wars prequels. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. It's that one aspect which seems to be what most folks remember about it. And of course, Christensen is really good in this, as the real-life figure referred to in the title, Stephen Glass. He's actually scarily good in how effectively he portrays that one aggressively eager-to-please co-worker who we've all had, who cannily finds a way to fail upward. Never the most talented one, nor the one who works the most tirelessly, but the one who's best at remembering everyone else's birthdays. Yeah, you know the type. Gloria, that necklace is you. Oh, and sweetie, Caitlin just told me that she needs a gift for two showers next week. Do you think you might have something for her? I got you some gum. If I were to throw a party where all we did was play Monopoly, would you guys come? Oh, and by the way, Glow, that lipstick is the bomb. Was it Midnight Mist? This film does not work without his performance, but still, there is a lot more to it which makes it special. Mainly the setting and the rest of this stellar cast. This came out in 2003, but uncovers real events occurring in 1998, and very much feels like the late 90s, the last dominant time for print media, the rise of the internet along with all the mystery that came with it, and also a time post-OJ and post-Monica Lewinsky that even the highest stratas of American society were suddenly being demystified for everyone else to revel in and mock. Have you noticed the way Steve's phone has been ringing lately? Do you see all those editors at the correspondence dinner? The way they were circling him. Is that what you want, Amy? To get a bunch of smoke blown up your ass by a pack of editors? Yes. Yes, it is. Caitlin, he's going to double his salary freelancing like that. These guys don't want policy pieces anymore. They want color. They want nuance, humor. But Amy, you don't write funny. 
As we hear from other reporters at the New Republic commiserating throughout the film, it's all about humor pieces and color. And that's where Stephen Glass excelled at the time. He was a seemingly adorkable hotshot writer at the New Republic who was making a name for himself writing the most colorful pieces with topics ranging from teenage hackers scoring big deals with the software companies that they were just hacking to conventions where he could find the best Monica Lewinsky merchandise to the psychology behind why Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield in their one boxing match together. But not only was what he was writing the most colorful content, but he was also adept at endearing himself to everyone else at the office, often making everyone else laugh with wild stories that he would tell them at daily meetings, stories that he would then spin into articles, of course. There's so many show-offs in journalism, so many braggarts and jerks. They're always selling, always working the room, always trying to make themselves look hotter than they actually are. The good news is, reporters like that make it easy to distinguish yourself. If you're even a little bit humble, a little self-effacing or solicitous, you stand out. So you bring a coworker lunch if he's buried under a deadline. You remember birthdays. Some reporters think it's political content that makes a story memorable. I think it's the people you find. Their quirks, their flaws, what makes them funny, what makes them human. Journalism is just the art of capturing behavior. Yeah, Glass had a really good grift going at this time. And we see the effect that this has not only on some of his fellow writers, winningly played by Melanie Linsky and Chloe Savigny, but writers at online competitors, played by Steve Zahn and Rosario Dawson. And even the editors who have to end up standing up for his work, played by Hank Azaria, and in the film's trickiest and most impressive performance, Peter Sarsgaard. Sarsgaard plays Chuck Lane, the new editor who has the thankless task of dealing with the potential fallout from Glass's hack Heaven's story, as most aspects of the story get called into question by Forbes Digital, which was on the rise at the time. And this narrative builds to an increasingly tense final half hour of the film, which basically dramatizes the escalation of the situation between Lane and Glass. And it's genuinely absorbing drama, to say the least. Hey, for dinner? You go in and ask him yourself, Chuck. Okay, go in and see if they would serve a party that came in at 2.58, and the answer would be yes, because that's when we got here. The Forbes guys are going to have all this, too, and they're going to dig through the records at that office building. Okay, I'm sure they have surveillance cameras, and they're going to check them. And by the end, it becomes more apparent how Lane is the actual hero of this story. Though it does feel as if writer-director Billy Ray emphasizes that with a boardroom scene and dramatic slow clap, no less, that stretches the credulity just a bit for how the rest of the staff would react to this. Regardless, Ray still does a fantastic job overall of taking us into this world for 90 minutes with some very interesting real-life figures while providing some context for all the changes which were occurring around them. And this brings me to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Because music is essential to film. Now, I think I've already made it clear on previous episodes that there are some overused songs chosen for needle drops which have been done and just should be retired permanently. And for this movie, I'm actually going to choose one of them, but only because it's actually used particularly well in this case. And that would be the 1965 classic rocker, Wild Thing, from the Trogs. From the get-go, this song was hugely popular, even though it was a relatively spare, mostly acoustic, slow-paced rocker with relatively few lyrics.
But one reason it has endured is that so many artists have performed their own unique versions of it in the decades since then, including the Jimi Hendrix Experience and Susie Sue, the former lead singer of Susie and the Banshees, but with her second band, The Creatures. However, the remake, which has remained the most famous since the original, was actually a version first recorded in 1984 by X, a relatively unknown LA-based punk rock band fronted by its more famous singer-slash-poet, Exine Cervenka. This version is much more produced, with a much more expansive sound, and it's extremely catchy in its own right. It actually did not become popular for several years until it was used prominently during the climactic game in the 1989 movie Major League. Yep, that's right. It's the theme music played for Charlie Sheen's Ricky Wild Thing Vaughn when he comes out of the bullpen. Yep, if you were a child of the 80s, as I was, it's this version which you have mostly heard, and it has endured ever since, being used in more movies and especially during several actual sporting events. And it makes a fun reappearance in one of the most telling and funniest sequences in this movie. It occurs relatively early in the movie when we get to witness Stephen Glass pitch a new story at the morning meeting of the New Republic. Yes, this would be the one which would inspire the now infamous story, Hack Heaven. This was the story about a preteen hacker who was offered a contract by a tech company and then celebrated it at a hacker's convention. And it was all made up. But at this point in the movie, that's not made clear as we watch an actual dramatization of this event from Stephen's point of view as Stephen tells it to the room in spirited fashion. To the point where he even jumps up on the boardroom table to visualize the celebratory dance that his fictitious subject did at the convention. All to the tune of X's Wild Thing. After that, after they have the meeting, he goes back into the conference where all these hackers have gathered. And they're treating him like he's a rock star. Then, Restel jumps up on a table, and he's like, I want to meet up! He says, gyrating zips like this, I want to meet up! I want my playboys! I want a trip to Disney World! Show me the money! Show me the money! It's a fun scene, and also somewhat disturbing as well, the more you think about it but it also remains the rare occasion where one movie was able to successfully recycle a prime needle drop from an older film and use it just as effectively. The next category would be wasted talent, the most underutilized talent involved with the film. During the first half of this movie, we have a few nicely written sequences of the folks at Forbes Digital getting to the bottom of Glass's deception. You've reached the offices of Jute Micronics. Please leave a message. What'd you get? Voicemail. I get a busy signal. Hang up. Try again, okay? Free dial. Busy signal. I got a voicemail. Hang up. A major software company with one phone line? 
And the main stars of these scenes are the aforementioned Steve Zahn, playing real-life reporter Adam Pennenberg, and Rosario Dawson, playing a composite of several other reporters who worked at Forbes with Adam. Her name is Andy Fox in this movie. Zahn and Dawson are just so much fun to watch in these scenes as two snarky, yet very sharp reporters getting to the bottom of an unexpected scandal. I really enjoy this angle of the story as well. Okay, I'm trying to keep cool about all this, but you know the Uniform Computer Security Act and the glass piece? Supposed to be under debate in 21 state legislatures? I just checked all 50. No such act. Beautiful. And a Julie Farth work from the Computer Security Center? Not too sure she exists either. Same with Jim Gorda of the Center for Interstate Online Investigations. And I've got nothing on the National Assembly of Hackers or Frank Juliet. Do you know why this is so great? I mean, do you see the irony here? The New Republic, snobbiest rag in the business, the in-flight magazine of Air Force One, and their star goes out and gets completely snowed by a bunch of hackers. I mean, God couldn't have written this any better. Alas, and this is a pretty small quibble, but after a pretty consequential sequence featuring a conference call roughly 50 minutes into the movie between the New Republic and Forbes Digital regarding the errors in Glass's reporting, we never actually hear or see any of the Forbes folks for the remainder of the movie. I just found it a bit disappointing that we don't even have one bookend scene with either of these two characters, including Pennenberg, who actually proved to be a key player in this saga. Now, keeping the remainder of the story entirely focused on the New Republic folks, It makes sense from a thematic standpoint, and it helps keep this movie to a brief 94-minute runtime, which I could really appreciate. But still, when you have two actors of this caliber serving the overall story, it might not have hurt to just have circled back with them for maybe a minute or two towards the end. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scener moment that best describes this movie. As much as this story ends up focusing on this brewing conflict between Chuck Lane and Stephen Glass, The dramatic high point of the movie for me is actually a climactic argument towards the end between Lane and Chloe Sevigny's associate editor, Caitlin, immediately after Lane has fired Stephen Glass. What the hell did you do to Steve? He just called me from his car, hysterical, and I asked him what was wrong. He said, ask Chuck. I fired him, okay? Not suspended, fired. This wasn't an isolated incident, Caitlin. He cooked a dozen of them, maybe more. And we're going to have to go through them. You and I, we're going to have to go through all of them now. No, the only one was Hack Heaven. He told me that himself. If he were a stranger to you, if he was a guy you were doing a piece about, pretend that guy told you he'd only done it once. Would you take his word for it? Of course not. You'd dig and you'd bury him. And you'd be offended if anybody told you not to. Every one of those pieces was fact-checked. They were all... So is Hack Heaven! You're a good reporter. You've always been such a smart, thorough reporter. Why can't you be one now? Because what you're telling me is impossible, Chuck. What's great about this scene is not only the raw emotion finally coming out from both actors, but it also becomes clear how it's Caitlin who we feel more empathy for than Stephen. I mean, Stephen Glass, he's a troubled soul for sure, but he did what he did, and he really misled a lot of good people in the process. Most notably, Caitlin, who had become his biggest advocate by this point. She really sticks out her neck for him. Both actors truly bring the fireworks to this scene. But just watching how the camera closes in on Savigny's face at the end of this scene, as her character Caitlin realizes just how ugly this whole situation has become, and just how much she was deceived in the process, it's masterful. The final category would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. 
Sarsgaard is amazing in this film, playing almost all of his scenes very close to the vest, as he uncovers more of Glass's deceptions with regards to the story. Now, we can tell off the bat that he's a genuinely fair person who just wants to get to the truth of the matter, but that his generally cold demeanor and his relative inexperience as a boss-slash-editor helps feed into this false narrative that Steve has been building with everyone around them that Chuck is just targeting him, based on his supposed loyalty to the previous editor who was recently fired. Sarsgaard and Christensen's scenes together are really the highlight of this film. The way they play off of each other is just a masterclass. Both the ways we watch Lane get increasingly frustrated while Glass becomes increasingly desperate. But really, at the end of the day, Sarsgaard has the much trickier role on paper. I mean, as I stated earlier, his Chuck Lane is not actually presented to the audience as the obvious protagonist until virtually the second to last scene in the movie. It's honestly one of the most realistically sympathetic portrayals of a boss dealing with office politics that I've ever seen. And even though it's actually a pretty close race between him and Christensen, who's after all playing the title character, Stephen Glass, the MVP has to be Peter Sarsgaard for delivering an introspective performance which elevates this movie among most others of its type. That's what this is. Of course. What are you going to do, Chuck? Pick us off one by one? Everybody that was loyal to Mike? Do you have a staff that belongs to you? Is that the kind of magazine you want to run? Caitlin, when this thing blows, there isn't going to be a magazine anymore. Now, if you want to make this about Mike, make it about Mike. I don't give a shit. You can resent me. You can hate me. But come Monday morning, we're all going to have to answer for what we let happen here. We're all going to have an apology to make. Jesus Christ, don't you have any idea how much shit we're about to eat? Every competitor we ever took a shot at, they're going to pounce, and they should. Because we blew it, Caitlin. He handed us fiction after fiction, and we printed them all as fact. Just because... We found him entertaining. It's indefensible. Don't you know that? My rating for Shattered Glass would be five stars out of five. Bottom line, this is a great film that deserves to at least be in the conversation with other great films focused on journalism like all the President's Men, Spotlight, and the more recent She Said. And if you're looking to watch Shattered Glass, it's currently streaming on Roku, Hoopla, and Tubi. And that ends another fabulous review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast, and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.